5 in the Field is brought to you by the Zion National Park Forever Project. The Forever Project is the official charity partner of Zion National Park, Cedar Breaks National Monument, and Pipe Spring National Monument. Hey there, my name is Stephanie and I work here inside the canyon at Zion National Park. In this new series, Five in the Field, we hope to give you a quick look at the people, places, and forces of nature that work to make Zion a truly global heritage. Today, I am joined by the Director of Field Programs for the Forever Project, Michael Plyler. Hey Mike, thanks for joining me today. Tell us a little bit about the work you do here in Zion. Thanks, Stephanie. I'm happy to be part of this and have the opportunity to share about Zion with our listeners and supporters. My job as the Director of Field Programs is to share knowledge and educate park visitors about the importance of conserving public lands like Zion National Park. We host free talks under the Fern and J.L. Crawford Lecture Series, and we offer field programs throughout the year that focus on different aspects and topics of the park. So basically, you get to spend a ton of time out here in the field in Zion? That sounds terrible. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. There are worse ways to spend a day, but the work we do here is meaningful. It just so happens that I have the best classroom and office in the world. So speaking of this amazing classroom, you and I are currently sitting here in the park headquarters building in the center of Zion. And for our first episode, there's probably no better place to start than talking about the ecosphere of the park. Well... The ecosphere of Zion is complicated as the park sits at the intersection of three very distinct zones. Really? Three? Yes, three. Many people know that Zion is on the western edge of the Colorado Plateau. Right. The shaving off of the plateau is what gives the canyon and surrounding land such diverse changes in elevation. Exactly. But Zion is where the Colorado Plateau, the Great Basin, and the Mojave Desert form a true ecosystem confluence. So, Zion is a desert? Well, with so many trees, natural springs, and an abundance of wildlife, Zion may not be the first thing you think of when thinking about deserts, but yes, Zion is a desert. Well, it certainly gets really hot here. Is temperature what makes us a desert? Well, temperature certainly contributes to our desert status, but it's not actually what defines it. Deserts aren't really based on temperature. In fact, Antarctica is the largest desert in the world with average temperatures around negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit. We have both hot and cold deserts. Hot deserts receive the majority of their precipitation as rain, while cold deserts get most of their precip as snow. Hot deserts like the Mojave push into Zion from the south, whereas our largest cold desert, the Great Basin, flows in from the north. The Great Basin is one of the 10 largest deserts in the world. Okay, Michael. So if being hot or cold doesn't make us a desert, can you help explain what does? Good question. Desert status is based on the amount of annual precipitation or the rate of annual evaporation. Deserts are typically defined as receiving less than 10 inches of precip per year. But the average rainfall in Zion is more than 10 inches per year. I think, Michael, the average is around 16 inches. I do know it varies dramatically from year to year. Well, Steph, rainfall is one factor, but the other definition of deserts has to do with evaporation, meaning that an area loses more water than it receives in the course of a given year. 
In Zion, we lose almost 50 inches of water each year through evaporation. 50 inches, that seems like a lot. But with late spring and summer temperatures that exceed 100 degrees, I guess it's not too hard to imagine. Mike, if you're up for it, let's take a quick trip out into the field and see if we can take a look at this desert environment for ourselves. Sure, let's go. Okay, so here we are in the middle of the canyon, down on the banks of the Virgin River, and I can already see some of the biodiversity that results from the intersection of the areas we talked about earlier. The Mojave, the Great Basin, and the Colorado Plateau. Yeah, it's pretty striking. See the yuccas and cacti right next to the large cottonwood trees along the banks of the river? And if you look a bit higher up the canyon walls, they're littered with junipers and pinions and even ponderosa higher up. Zion makes up less than 1% of Utah's total land mass, but holds almost 30% of all plant species found in the state. Wow, so almost a third of the state's plants are found here? Even with it being so arid and dry? Why is that? Well, one of the main factors is the composition of the Navajo sandstone that gives Zion its brilliant red and white cliffs. Underneath this layer of sandstone is a shale rock layer known as the Kayenta Formation. This less permeable formation means that streams, springs, and creeks are relatively abundant, providing somewhat reliable water sources for vegetation. But because of our diversity, it's not uncommon to see a prickly pear cactus growing in the vicinity of a lush green fern. Even working here every day, I'm still amazed at the secrets this park has to offer. Zion is certainly one of the most unique deserts I've experienced. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time today to give us a lesson on the definition of deserts and why Zion is one of the most unique areas in the world. Thanks, Steph. It was great to share with everyone today. If listeners want to learn more, head to zionpark.org and click on Events and Experiences. You can see a list of our lectures and courses or even build a custom experience with one of our naturalist instructors. Awesome! And if you want to learn more, like Michael said, visit zionpark.org. We hope you tune in next month for Five in the Field.